1: Hi, this is Tracy L. Flatten hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show. We have a great show lined up for you today. And I'm also very grateful and humbled that so many people are listening to this show both live and in the archives. I created the show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality, and this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Remember, there are always people who believe in the old guard, people who will say no to you, people who are invested in the system and the status quo. You don't have to buy their shtick. The system is always wrong. And here on the show will you'll hear people who are inventing their own systems. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Um and I'm on. The flash the uh the live chat is open right now. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest that you know is coming on. You can reach me at Tracy at com, and that's Tracy spelled T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some great guests are coming on. On Thursday, August 27th, next week, we're airing a Highlights of Independent Artists and Thinkers show. I have to say that every single one of my guests has been absolutely wonderful, and it was really hard to choose just a few clips to to fit within a one-hour slot. I'll be airing other Highlights episodes so that we can really hear from everyone, but next week, you'll hear some clips from healer and author Dr. Jane Eli, master sculptor Sabin Howard, editor-in-chief of Fine Arts Connoisseur magazine Peter Trippi, psychiatrist Dr. Bill Burnett, actor and producer Alexis Suarez, educational entrepreneur Tracy Gray, modern-day troubadour Gideon Irving, opera star Elizabeth DeShong, ethicist Dr. Bruce Cole, and author and psychotherapist Dave Rico. Then on Thursday, September 3rd at 1 p.m., found dress and artist Sun Kim will be on talking about art and the life of metal. And she is a foundress. I looked up the word in the dictionary. She's a woman who is the proprietor of her own foundry. How cool is that? She's also a sculptor. On Thursday, September 10th at 1 p.m., Dan Booth Cohen and Emily Bolden will talk about the human heart as a catalyst to creativity. They'll also discuss the ancestral dimensions of, co- of consciousness. Very fascinating. On Thursday, September 17th at 1 p.m., Author, astrologer, and teacher Lynn Bell will talk about the archetypes and mythology of our horoscopes. Fascinating. So tune in and keep checking the website independentartistthinkers.com and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted today, so happy to have a wonderful guest, author Joyce Strand. Joyce T. Strand is the independently published author of Five Whodunit Mysteries. Her newest novel, The Judge's Story, published... June 23, 2015, is a historical mystery set in a small California town, Ventura, in 1939, and it features a California Superior Court judge. Her most recent contemporary novel, Hilltop Sunset, is the first of a trio featuring protagonist Bryn Bancroft, a corporate executive transitioning to winemaker. Bryn Bancroft is a minor character in Strand's novels, On Message, Open Meetings, and Fair Disclosure. Three Mysteries Solved by Jillian Hillcrest, a publicist whose boss was Chief Financial Officer Bryn Bancroft. So that's cool when characters recur. I always like that. Much like her protagonist, Jillian Hillcrest, Strand headed corporate communications at several biotech and high-tech companies in California's Silicon Valley for more than 25 years. Today, in addition to creating mysteries, Strand writes and publishes a blog, Strand Simply Tips, is a writer for Regional Wine wine Magazine, and is working on the second Bryn Bancroft Mystery to be published in November 2015. Strand lives with her two cats and collection of cow statuary in Southern California, and she seeks out and attends as many Broadway musicals and other stage plays as she can. She has a Ph.D. from George Washington University, Washington, D.C., and a B.A. from Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. You can find out more about Joyce at com and at StrandSimplyTips at blogspot Blogspot.com, and we'll mention more about those websites um, in a few minutes. Joyce, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's exciting to be on radio. Well, I'm delighted you agreed to be on the show, and I just want to start off by telling listeners how I met you, which is that um, on a previous book blog tour we were put in contact and you
0: really helped me promote my book broken Um, yes and let me I I suppose now is as good a time as any to just talk about my blog Um, I I started it uh, early on as um, a way to promote other authors Uh, and because it is as an independent author it's somewhat can be difficult to get publicity and so it seemed like a good way uh given my background and and understanding of of how to do quote a newsletter which is what a blog really is in many ways. Uh I felt that I could contribute there and it started out a little slowly but it has certainly taken on and I I just find it very rewarding and kind of a payback for all the help I got along the way uh to in particular feature authors. Now I do I do occasionally uh, include other tips, but mostly it, it's to promote authors. And as, as uh, um, again, getting into into this first, uh, the uh, the uh, what I've found to be extremely helpful, and social media I think is what has enabled many of us to become authors, uh, is the ability to tweet. And tweeting has led to increased um, usage or, or page views. On my blog, uh, from uh, initially from a couple hundred to now uh, a minimum of 500 a day uh, of of different page views, and then uh, through um, very aggressive tweeting and and facebooking and whatever, the blog uh, allows uh, me to to get between one and two thousand page views for each author interview. Uh, so all of That's... that. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I just think it's really cool, and you really are just. You've become or are just a maven of social media, and I want to hear more about that because I think it's really cool, and I think it's absolutely up to this moment, um, that kind of information. But first I'd like to hear how you got started. How did you begin your journey, and what has taken what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training do you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in writing books, and especially mystery novels? Um, was, were mystery novels something you read a lot when you were growing up? You know, what did you think you would be? I know, you, you know, you have a, a, have worked in biotech, so, you know, start early, start with your childhood, go through your career, and lead up to
0: now. How did you get to be a mystery author? Uh, well, first of all, yes, I've, I'm an avid reader of mysteries, uh, always have been, uh, in addition to historical novels, excuse <clears throat> uh, Um, but I think... Given that my background was was, uh, public relations, where I did an enormous amount of writing, I've always thought of myself as a writer. But when I lost my my job the last time, and I've never had a difficulty difficulty finding a job, but this last time, which is right around 2008, 2009, when things kind of uh, turned bad for the corporate world, um, I, I was sitting around after several months of not having a job and uh, my now late husband um, was, I think, more annoyed than anything that I was sitting around moaning about not having a job. Turned to me and said, "Why don't you write a book?"
1: You know, very <laughs> much
0: like that too. Very much like that. And I said, "What do you mean, write a book?" Because I'm, my my head is going through, why would anyone care about the biotech industry or high tech? I wrote, I, I wrote, I uh, participated in both. And he says, "Well, write a mystery. You certainly read enough of them. You know that kind of thing. Get get off my back." Uh and I and I thought about it and I thought, well sure, why not? Um and and so I, I started writing. I I I, I looked around it at uh various ways to do it and the first thing that came to my mind was, well, okay, I was a, a PR executive. I, I understand about the corporate world so I could write about that, but I know absolutely nothing about crime. Uh I mean other than what I read in the papers. So I said, "Oh, I know what I read in the papers." So I tracked down uh, several crimes that might be relevant to a PR person in Silicon Valley, and indeed, the and first one that, is. They, go ahead. was
1: that, Joyce? Did you just like do Google? Did you go to the library and look in the archive? I mean, how did you track down those stories?
0: Believe it or not, reading a newspaper uh, on my Kindle, of course. Uh, And uh, I I just kept reading, uh, and and the the, the newspapers are full of crime stories. And the one I settled on for the um, for the very first novel uh, dealt with a retired uh, biotech executive who uh, the police found murdered in his apartment down where I live, near where I live in La Jolla, actually, um, which is near San Diego. And he'd been murdered, and it turned out that um, he was murdered by a. Are you ready for this? A CPA who was working with him, and I mean, it just couldn't have been more perfect for a public relations person uh, who did investor relations. So, so that kind of formed the crux of of the first book, and then it what, what was the name of the
1: first book?
0: On message. Mm, on message. And again. On message, remembering that I'm a public relations person, and on message is um, uh, certainly vernacular for the, the the public relations industry, which is you know keeping on message when you when you talk to the media or staying on message when you uh, when you're doing a speech. Um, so that's that's kind of uh, the tie-in. And my my public relations person, uh, well, there are several murder. Two mer- murders occur, and they connect her to this person, and, and that, that's how I involved public, the, the corporate world of public relations to the world of crime. Uh, I did, however, of course, um, and I can get into this a little bit later, too, how I make it credible. I, 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 did, I did do a, a significant amount of research around police procedure, et cetera, but the, the core of it came from, from there. Now, writing it then was the first step, um, and I felt sort of comfortable doing that because I'd been writing all my life, but uh i wasn't quite sure well what do you do after you write a book you know how does it get out there uh and quite frankly well, wait, when i, I started... want to go back okay Joanne you want to go... go okay go, go ahead
1: back. i want to get back to the police procedural part i mean how did you do that uh-huh. research did you go talk to some cops you know i mean what That's did you exactly do That's right.
0: i right. Uh, actually i i have um I, in fact i still talk to them uh several uh retired policemen from uh the silicon valley area and also uh uh, I was given a connection to one in Las Vegas. I also have a retired FBI agent that I talk to uh, and ask questions. And for all of my for all of my books, they they are like the the core group uh, that that makes sure that I don't say anything stupid. Now, in addition to that, though, I, I definitely Google uh, like like a minor thing, uh, San Francisco, which is where the first book takes place largely in San Francisco. Uh the police there, uh the homicide detectives are known as inspectors as opposed huh. to detectives. And that was just a little I just picked that up from the Why is that, um, do you know? Haven't a clue. Which would make an interesting little side side tip for the next book. You know, why are you why why do they call you inspectors? My 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 uh policeman that I use who is from San Jose offered the explanation it's because San Francisco likes to do everything different. Now, I think that's I think that's a little snide, but <laughs> but I mean I but but indeed and you know what else I've noticed that on any any thrillers or cop shows on TV, uh if you watch and listen whenever they talk about um police in San Francisco, the detective is always called an inspector. Ah. So, anyway, that was just a minor thing. I mean, there were lots of other things that I discovered, but but credibility and and I I tend to write from more of a realistic than a than than a romantic um, perspective, and so I mean that might be my PR background, but I I I did everything I could to assure that the the book was anchored in um, as accurate a police procedure and other. Uh, areas and I felt comfortable, of course, talking about public relations and, and companies because I'd been involved with them for for 25 years. But um, but the other things, I I just did a lot of research for and talked to people and uh, and I recommend anyone who's who's writing. Uh, I I think it really helps to have people to talk to to tell you uh, no, you wouldn't do that. No, police wouldn't do that. That would be silly, you know. Hmm. I think for the second one, for example, I. Um, What's the second book's name? I'm trying. The second one is open meetings. Actually, it was the third book, Fair Disclosure. Uh, I had I had a, a a crime occur inside a movie or inside a a theater, uh, a, a live theater, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what the procedure would be. Would the police keep them there and keep the entire audience there and interview all of them or whatever? And I I checked with them and and they said absolutely they would. And, and they would get everyone's name, and so I just followed that. I mean, they were just simple things, but you want them to be as accurate as possible. Um, yeah,
1: verisimilitude is really important when you're writing a novel.
0: Yes, I think so. I, yeah, So credibility was crucial. But but anyway, so, um, so, so, so as that's a kid, the right.
1: As a ahead. kid, you were reading a lot of mysteries. Who were some of your oh, favorites?
0: Yeah. Well, of course starting out early with Nancy Drew and um the Hardy Boys um, of course. Uh uh I um I I'm showing my age probably, but no, I mean I I, I I'm not from the 30s. Um but <laughs> uh uh but anyway then uh I I think uh, as a teenager I was a huge Perry Mason fan. Uh, and uh oh all of them. I I, I it just goes on and on. Uh, I'm trying to think of the early ones, though Agatha Christie. Oh, early yeah. you know, every 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 Hercule Poirot and um, Miss Marple book um, and and talk about whodunits. I mean, those are definitely whodunits. Now, now I have to defend myself here a little bit. I'm also reading you know decent literature at the same time. Um, or you know I I, I loved uh, Steinbeck and uh, even as a teenager. And and um, my favorite novel, by the way, uh, which came along a little later, is is not a mystery story. Well, not de- by definition. It's it's Cla- it's Clavel Shogun. I love that novel, and it's, that is it's a great it's about, novel. It's it's about medieval Japan, and I just I I love learning about medieval Japan. But more importantly, uh, the the way the the way it's put together with uh, the clues and the and the, the chess pieces, it just appeals to, of course, why I like mysteries is is putting together piece by piece and and understanding each clue and. Uh, avoiding the the red herrings and trying to figure it all out and and that that shogun is just superb at that but um you know and and, and as a, i mean i've read I can't, I can't think of who i haven't read uh, right now my most favorite is um probably grisham and john grisham and and um mm-hmm. uh of course stieg Larson i liked all three of those and um, mm-hmm.
1: oh those are amazing yeah
0: but but so anyway um really-
1: as a kid, you really didn't think, oh, someday I'll write books. It was really, it took your husband,
0: you know, kind of snapping at you? That's correct. That, that's absolutely correct. Now, I've always been a writer, understand. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I that I mean, I preferred essay questions to multiple choice. I preferred, um, I, I, I always did better on exams that required writing something as opposed to picking up the correct answers. Um, and... Um, so I I and, and and my career choice really was based on on writing um on my writing abilities. So um so writing was always in the back of my mind, but actually publishing a book, no, I did not dream of doing that. Um but I sure welcomed it when when the suggestion was made. It was like um I felt like, yeah, why I can do that, you know. It was like, sure, that'd be fun. And I have and it has been. I, I have really enjoyed it. I've learned an enormous amount, uh, which might be a good segue into. Okay, I knew I I, I felt comfortable writing, but what's next? And that was right, that's right. I have a that, question. Okay, you one said, more. Qu- okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> you you sent me a question. Why did you choose to go
0: independent rather than traditional? You want to talk about that's, that now? That's that's where I was headed. <laughs> the the business side of it. I I I I hadn't a clue right? Um, Someone said, well, what's your ISBN number? And I went, huh? Um, You know, it was like that kind of ignorance in terms of the publishing industry. So um, I did what any good student of whatever would do. I went to a conference. And fortunately, um, the La Jolla Writers Conference uh, was the right one to go to because they had a mixture of... um, uh, I guess classes on or, or seminars on the business side versus the writing side, and of course I I wanted I I knew how to write right. That's the other the other kind of um, mistaken thought I had in the back of my head was since I since I've been writing all these papers and in nonfiction and uh, doing pub uh, press releases, I knew how to write fiction. That but we'll 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 get back to that. Okay. But at any rate, I, I focused on the business side at this particular seminar or conference, uh, which was at a beautiful setting, by the way, by the ocean. Uh and, wow. and and the the one that struck, or that that probably influenced me the most, was a discussion, and it was a two-hour discussion, uh, a laying out. What it means to publish in terms of traditional publishing versus independent publishing, and traditional publishing was—I I thought to me it was an archaic model. It looked like something that had been started in the 1800s and never updated. And if you—it's very you, if you, slow. It, it's very I, slow. I, oh, I, and and dependent on so many people and then i thought well yeah but i can't afford to you know i can't afford to do independent publishing and then this this person who i shall forever be grateful for laid out and he says how much do you think it costs to publish a book and he was head of the conference by the way and they do um uh marketing of books in in this area and i said uh I, and uh, we all put up our hands you know 20 30 40 50 thousand to publish a book. let's look at that and he laid it out. The most expensive model, I think, was ten thousand dollars to publish a book. Mm-hmm. And I looked, and I looked at that, and I thought, oh, I can get that down because what, what you, if you break it into the pieces, you need a cover designer. You know, if you want to be your own publisher, uh, you need you need a cover. You need to uh, format it for ebook. Uh, you need to do, and that was the other thing. Of course, ebooks were just coming, uh, were getting coming along strong. This is in 2009, and so, um, so, so that helped. I mean, I, I can't, I can't claim that it's my brave, uh, independent thinking that that pushed me too far. There, there, there It was the time. Well, don't I mean, so you
1: think though that that's part of independent thinking is the ability to pick up on stuff that's said around you and not just stick to the old ways. And also, uh, the other question I have for you is: Are your books edited and copy edited? Absolutely. Oh, yeah Absolutely.
0: There is no way. No, I mean, just because you're independently publishing a book, you're still obligated to produce the best book. Now, again, my background probably showed that. I I can tell you that every press release I ever wrote was was edited and re and and you know, uh, you know, every every and, and they're they're like. You know, five hundred words. Not five hundred. Well, yeah, between five hundred words and a thousand words. But but I am. I was so accustomed to having things edited. I've realized the value of it because it came out better in the end. I I actually enjoy the editing process. I find it. it it's like read the one somebody. <coughs> somebody in the past said it was like it's like shining up a diamond. You know, you have a rough diamond mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um, oh yeah, exactly. Everyone, and and um multiple times I, I did actually multiple levels of for the writing i did um i, I actually have um <laughs> i actually have highly educated um, um family members and so i w- i th- they would they would look at it the first just the first time before it went anywhere and and they would say you know what some of some of this really doesn't make sense or whatever and it would just kind of be a uh, a testing of the waters and then mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would rewrite it. So by the time I got to the third or fourth draft, I was ready to send it to some some other friends who would go through it and and kind of copy edit it. And then I had I hired a professional. So the copy by the time the copy editor got it, it had been gone through several times. Um, that is so smart. Good for you.
1: I I have had some. I, I, you know, this is an ongoing issue I have with other independent authors when they think they're so wonderful they don't need a, to be professionally edited, and that really annoys me because production values
0: matter. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I find it so annoying. Um, when it was a while ago, I read this. What it was I thought it was a really good book, and there were so many typos and errors in it that it made it hard to, to get through it. And I'm sure that that. Um, I'm sure that it reflects poorly on the author, but it also reflects poorly on all independently published books. Well, uh, in my
1: opinion, what separates the self-published people from the
0: independently published people is
1: this matter of production value. Self-published people will slap something out there. An independently independently published author cares about production values, has a professional editor, gets a professional cover designer, that's a professional, you know, book layout designer. It's about production values. If they matter and you're willing to do it, and you can do it very cost effectively, I certainly do. Um yes. then you are independently published. If you're just slapping it out there, then you are self published.
0: And I I couldn't agree more, and I do all all of those things and always have. My books are you know, have a professionally designed cover, uh, et cetera. But again, I knew nothing about that until I I talked I was at this conference and the, the 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 speaker presented those options now uh the one thing that I have not that I don't do that I think many traditional or many independently published authors do today uh is I always I go to a printer and have my books printed uh I was fortunate enough to find an a relatively inexpensive printer that that and now with digital printing which has come down tremendously in cost from what it was five years ago. Um, I, I'm able to to print, you know, a, a smaller amount. Uh, so you don't but, go. Uh, you
1: don't have a do, lightning source or anything.
0: That's correct. I don't do print and demand. That's correct. Okay. I, I print my own, which means I have a bunch in my garage. I admit it. I admit it. Well, who, who mails them uh, out? Who does fulfillment? Uh, well, fulfillment I do through Amazon. Yeah, I do send. I, so I ship them a quantity of books. And then I also have um, my local – uh, a plug for independent bookstores. Um, I have a, a local independent bookstore that is just um, a huge community participant. Well, what's the name? Uh,
1: Where can people find it? Since you're plugging okay. it, let's plug it for real.
0: All right. It's <laughs> called the Unicor, Unicorn Gifts and Bookstore. And okay. they do – and they uh, unicorn i have to get it in the right order cuz their their website is unicorn books and gift store and it's in Ramona, California and they ship they, they they have the they have signed copies of my print books which all of them and they they are happy to ship them and uh they just do in addition they they uh host uh local authors so i have launched all my books there well the last 3 um with a launch party and they're just so supportive. Okay they so do listeners,
1: a, go to Unicorn Books and Gifts in Ramona, California and let's support our independent bookstores. Woohoo <laughs> Yes. Uh I I mean and
0: they, they and again and they support local but they support all authors, but but they, they I I know that they support local authors so um uh, uh and, and they've done they've done so much for the community as well. Uh, just uh, an incredible, and it's just a little tiny independent bookstore, but they're doing that's well. That's wonderful. And they're both, I hope they can. And they're both run by women.
1: <gasps>
0: and, and, and they're both, it's run by two women, by the way. All right. So that's, I love it. <laughs> okay, anyway, so so back to the, the saga. Back to indie of,
1: rather than traditional and what you right, learned at the so local anyway, writer.
0: So I'm at the conference, and I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, why would anyone go traditional? I just couldn't even... I, I, you know, and then coupled to my impatience, I'm I, I, the the thought of having to first find an agent, which is what the that which is what the his, the traditional model requires, and pitching to them and getting them on board. I mean, the, I could just see years being added to the process, and I'm far too impatient for that. Once once I've started, I, I want to see it come to fruition. Now, again, the fact that we have Amazon that you can you can po- you can just simply put a book out there. You don't rely on a distributor, which is another step in the the traditional process that absolutely floored me. uh, Um, how. Yes, I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. I have a question, and that is, you know, for me, when I started out, I really needed the validation of a big publisher. Did you, I mean, and this, I think, was my own issue. Did you find you needed that, or you just felt so confident in your story that you just
0: went for it? i I felt and still believe that having, you know, publishing through Amazon or distributing through Amazon gives you some validity. Gives you quite a bit of validity. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, also, coming from a marketing background, I mistakenly believed that I could I could market and overcome that that lack of having a publisher. Um, it has taken a long time you know, years and and that might be the downside of independent publishing, uh, although there are so many upsides that I, I don't even think of it as a downside. Uh, because remember I came from a marketing background um and a marketing career and so I was sure I could overcome all that and I also thought that by by distributing through Amazon I also distribute through Barnes and Noble by the way through their website. Um mm-hmm. and I thought by distributing through those two that I would be able to overcome that that desire for a lot of people to to see people who have mm-hmm. been published by a, now I also I'm not sure that today now 5 years ago might be different I'm not sure today that if a book has got a good cover uh looks good looks professional I don't know if people care anymore um because there's so many independently published books out there
1: well, as long as it
0: looks. The other thing that I did, by the way, at the time, thinking that it might help, was I, um, I did set up my own publishing company, uh, and I, I chose my my grandmother's maiden's name maiden names as the name of the of the publishing company. So and, what is it? Uh, What's the it, name? <laughs> it's called McClone and Schmelz. Um, cool. Which uh, which I put. I have a little logo German? for it and everything. Schmelz is McClone is. Um, scotch Irish, which which I never quite understood why why my grandmother said she was scotch Irish seems like an oxymoron. You're either Irish or you're Scotch, but anyway, uh, Scott. Uh, but anyway, um, I I didn't know if that would help. I still don't know if it helps. I I do still put it on every book, and I it is a real company. I mean, it it is an LLC, mm-hmm. um, but I but I don't know if if that makes a difference anymore. I really well, don't.
1: Oh. Living in New York City. I do meet, ah. I, you know, I meet people who are part of the, an educated class. And I remember like two years ago, I was out for a drink with this woman. Um, she made a pass to my husband, so I can't really say she's a friend, but this is before I knew she would made a pass. Uh, you know, he Or actually, he sort of told me as I was heading out, and he had not reciprocated, but I was like, now you're telling me I'm going to have a drink with her? Anyway, so this woman said to me, I I said, do we need the New York Times? I'm happy to let it go. And she turned, and I don't care if it's founders. I You know, I get all my, I don't buy a newspaper. I get all my news from the Internet. I go on aljahira.com. I go on uh, Al Jazeera. I go on Dr- the Drudge Report. I go on CNN.com. I go on BBC.com. You know, I, I sort of surf around the Internet to pick up my news, and I feel like I get a more widespread, um, balanced, vision of the news and if i just read the new york times you know who has a specific agenda and i said and do we really need the new york times pontificating on what movies books and you know are great and she turned to me and said well if the new york times doesn't tell me what to read how will i know and Ooh. i was a woman with a medical degree and i just looked at her and i thought if the New York Times doesn't tell you what to read, you won't know what you. That's pathetic. I didn't say that out loud. I, you know, in my rare moment of discretion, I just kind of looked at her. Um, but there is a certain segment of very intelligent, otherwise intelligent, very educated people who rely on um, places like the New York Times to tell them what to think. So that's and the answer I have. You say, do we need the, it, it anymore? This is the answer I have for you. Is you know, there's a certain segment of people who still believe in the old gatekeeper system. You know, and then a lot of them are gatekeepers. And, I, you know, I personally think we're in the middle of the biggest sea change in publishing since the invention of the Gutenberg Press. And I did a lot of research into that time period for my first novel, Immortal, which is set in Renaissance Florence. And, um, you know, a whole class, an entire middle class of people went out of business within 20 years. And those were scribes. They were, at the beginning of this period when the Gutenberg Press first came out, people said, oh, educated men will never go with, you know, these coarse, crude printed books, and the scribes will always have work." Well, at the end of 20 years, there were very few scribes left in business. And I feel like we're kind of in that, but boy, that gatekeeper system where you get an agent, the agent finds you a publisher, the publisher bestows their seal of approval on your book and publishes it. If you're really lucky, the New York Times, you know, and if your book is a, you know, to the left of Karl Marx then the New York Times will approve it and then you're like a wonderful literature writer. And yeah, you know, the gatekeepers are dying hard. They are not going gently into that good night and they are fed by this this group of people who are very educated who think they have to be told what to read. And, and I'm ranting. I I'm done ranting. No, <laughs>
0: I no, I absolutely agree with you and I, I recognize what you say is true. Just an aside about the New York Times, which I adore, but but I, but I when I did my doctoral dissertation, which was about elections in Brazil d- under a, an authoritarian system, the, the New York Times did a terrible job covering it. It was totally inaccurate. So I learned very quickly that even my favorite newspaper did not always print. They might have printed all the news that was fit to print, but not accurately. But anyway, uh, I, and I love the New York Times. However, I know that I am not going to reach those people. I, I don't try to market to them. I try. I, I I definitely segment, and 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 I, I look for the people that are gonna not care um, about who who it's. I mean, I I can't imagine that someone who is accustomed to reading the top ten books in the New York Times list would necessarily turn to my books to read them. I I, I can't. I so so I look for the people. Uh, and and quite frankly, I my um, because of my own background and because of the people I think I use to 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 look at my books, I I am looking for educated people. But there are a lot of people out there who do not rely on the New York Times, who are doing just like you and your husband, looking through other. I I have friends that don't even that don't even look at a newspaper, um, ever. No, I, I mean, don't look
1: at a newspaper. I'm online. I'm ex- online exactly. on twenty different websites. You know, there's just so much that the New York Times won't report and uh, just won't and gets wrong, gets inaccurate. But if I go and sample, you know, 20 different websites with 20 different biases, I can get I can make up my my own mind as to what's really happening by kind of comparing because, you know, Fox News is going to present it their way. CNN is going to present it their way. BBC is going to say something else. But in between all those, there's
0: some kind of truth. Absolutely, I, I or, totally Or maybe agree not. Just something I, I,
1: more accurate. I,
0: and, and even now, and even with all that, I still am suspicious of almost any news I get. Of, um, you know, I mean, I come from the industry. I know. I know how people. I mean, I know how we put it out. Um, Everything is fun. And, I, and Everything I, by is the way, I have doctors. a similar feeling to Wall Street. I have a similar feeling. I, I just, I, um, um, but, but that's another story. But what I'm trying to say is that for marketing my book, I rely on social media. Uh, and i rel- to to try to reach the people that are going to be different and not worry about whether it's on the new york times best selling list uh and i and I, I i i look for people who like to read mysteries who don't care if it's a uh, you know a, a major writer uh would i would i welcome uh being listed as a best as uh, a new york times author sure but you know what they don't even review independent books unless they started recently and i find that a bit snobbish quite frankly um so I, I you know i i again i focus on trying to find the readers that don't care about that about tradi- about whether a book is traditionally published and believe me there are lots of them out there um and, and so it's, it's not as go ahead i
1: I, could, I i you have so much to say about this whole process and i find it fascinating i really want to hear about your information about social media but let's do a few minutes right now tell us about your tu- your books um, tell us about The Judge's Story. That has a fantastic cover, by the way. I really love that. So um, what's the genre of The Judge's Story? And you typically write current-day mysteries. So what inspired you to write a book set in 1939? So, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about your books and start with The Judge's Story because I want listeners to know, you know, about your books.
0: Thank you. <laughs> no, that's very nice, although I could rant with you about the traditional publishing industry. Um uh, the Judge's story came about, I mean, I, I set out to write current-day mysteries, obviously the, the first three being about Silicon Valley and and then the, the fourth one being a spinoff from that and Wine Country, no question about it, and I intend to continue. However, one day uh, I was having lunch with a friend of mine uh, who actually had been my boss at, at one of my former companies, and he said, we just found a a manuscript of my grandfather's in his attic and I uh, you know, he was he he, I I had it he he had it bound for the the, his family, I think he had twenty copies made. And he said, You might be interested in it. My grandfather was a California superior court judge and before that, before he became superior court judge and, and he wrote his memoir, um, he was a law partner to Earl Stanley Gardner. You might know him. And I gasped. Of course I just told you I'm a huge Perry Mason fan. Mm-hmm. And I said I said "I beg your pardon?" He said, "Yeah, he was uh in Ventura, California. Uh he was they were the, the and, and the law firm still exists by the way with their names in it." And I said, "Well, w- well tell me some more. I'd kind of like to to read it. I I mean, I was fascinated." And it turns out that Earl Stanley Gardner had been partners with with this judge whose last name is Drapeau and had recommended to him because of his background that he should write his own autobiography which he did and i i read this and i got i was fascinated the, the biography of this man he he was kind of um what's the right word i, I well, at any rate he he ended up uh in in, in his late teens not having parents and being on his own, and oh, wow. uh, went up to San went up to San Francisco and and um, found uh, a job scribing, and uh, met a, a senator who took him to D.C. with him, uh, and so then he went to law school <laughs> on his own and be, at Georgetown in Washington D.C. became a, a lawyer and then went back and really and settled in Ventura, which is this small community and eventually became uh, anyway his his the story was fascinating but what intrigued me was his persona and, and the kind of person he was and i and i wanted to i wanted to do something with it but i'm a mystery writer and and i and uh-huh. I, so I didn't want to tell i didn't want to tell his story again i wanted to involve that persona that that judge and and there's so much to him uh, that i that i glean from the autobiography as well as um uh, additional research uh i i so but i but instead of focusing my book on a real crime i focused the book on him uh which is why it became the judge's story but again i wanted it to be a mystery uh and so i um i did a lot of research uh i finally i finally decided on the year 1939 which is right at the you know the beginning of the world war 2 kind of at the end of the depression or that we're pulling out of it and Mm -hmm. you know just historically it was a good year it was it was Mm -hmm. there was a lot of backdrop there that i could use uh to enhance my characters and and then i thought of the mystery which is totally fiction but uh again very common the kind of mystery the kind of crime that is committed is very common uh in that time period um and, and that's the other thing I found fascinating. Writing a historical mystery, uh, I just got so immersed in, in the history. Uh, I read, and uh, I read every single daily paper in 1939 from one newspaper just to get, just to, to get wow. the information. And my How my did you judge find was, the newspapers? Was it online, or did you um, just go to your? No, actually, Ventura, for its, even though it's a small community, um, has a museum. A very interesting museum, and they have a library, and the library uh has everything on microfiche, so I was able to go through there and they also had all the books I needed uh to find out about uh the town itself and about the courthouse and all of the the pieces that go to the story that that if you read it you'll you'll see that i i, I pulled that in um, the courthouse itself uh has been filmed i guess in several films um I think Chinatown used it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and several other things. So it's it's close enough to Hollywood that it, it's been discovered. Uh, but uh, but it was fascinating. So uh, so once I had all that background, it, it just it, it the, the book just started to write itself, and um, you know I was able to, to to find a crime and and fit the people in, and uh, uh, it, it was it was I think one of the more fun books uh, that I've written because. I enjoyed the research. I
1: mm-hmm. enjoyed
0: going up to Ventura, which is a couple hours from where I live—three, about three hours—and um, it was just just a really. It took me a couple of years, though, um, to to do that book.
1: And, and, and by the way,
0: it, uh, I, well, just just a, a quick aside. Um, I, I I've decided to to make it um, a series, not a series. Oh. That's the wrong word. Not a series, not a series. No, that's the wrong word. I I, I want to do another several more historical what i'm calling historical hero mysteries because this particular judge just turned out to be a real hero I mean, for a lot of reasons and i've now i'm now looking at doing another one uh with a female reporter uh at the turn well in the early 1900s who did some interesting things and uh and and then i um, i haven't come up with the third one but 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 i just found it interesting to look at Someone who was, you know, not not real famous, mm-hmm. but in his own right made a difference, and um, and and so, so put, let me ask: you, that Did you
1: did you write the judge's story to entertain, or to deliver a message, or to educate? Because I'm hearing a lot of both
0: in just your what you're talking about. No, I absolutely wrote it to entertain. The the everything that came out of the story. Came from the characters. I mean, they—they're so pushy. Um, and my characters, um, the judge himself, because I focused on his persona, had certain um, causes, if you will. And and uh, but but they aren't. I hope they're not too heavy-handed. They weren't intended to be. It was intended to show him as the character. And uh, but I did not set out without intent. I set out with the intent to write a, a fun mystery. Uh, with a judge as the protagonist which doesn't happen very often i'm told um mm-hmm. you don't often have a judge, judge as a protagonist it's a little tricky there are some issues involved there and um but uh, but yes it did come out that um because of his beliefs and backgrounds uh you know that that he would that he mentions and 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 it it drives the action of the mm-hmm. plot uh, but but it was not intended to be uh, uh, educational or uh, e- even even history is just there because it drives it drives the plot to uh, and the people and the characters. Uh, so but it was so
1: being true to ahead. your characters is really what's most important
0: to you. Exactly, exactly. And how do you
1: create characters? How do you care, create characters that your readers care about and was it more difficult to create characters who lived in 1939?
0: Uh and that um it was a, it was different. I don't know if it was more difficult. Uh but but what you have to do is imagine um no cell phones, uh a lot of poverty, uh a rural community. How much and and one of the benefits of Reading through newspapers is that you get you you do get a slice of life in that period. And I read, as I said, the entire year, so I I, I had a sense of what mm-hmm. people would like. Um, there's a boys' club that gets created in, or is created in my book. There really was a boys' club. Uh, there's uh, in Inventura, uh, and and uh, I the, the boys that I created were were parts of of characters that I that I read about and um there was also a um <laughs> one of the sub characters who who had a tendency to take over the book was a teenager a precocious 16-year-old who um went to a writers club that mm-hmm. was, uh, to to present her book and that was real uh and and her character um pulled out of of being that precocious teenager uh and you know the the characters are still they still have um, the same emotions the same you know as we do today mm-hmm. uh, but but they were couched in and this is this is where setting really helped to create the characters i mean obviously people were concerned about war uh right. so they would talk about that or they and they were concerned about crime there was a lot of um boys' crime, gangs in, in this period, this time period. And so th- that played a role in, in discussions. Uh, and so the characters were really formed by the setting, and um, which is, I don't know how she would do as, as something set in a different time period other than to, to really get into the history and, and understand what was going on. But setting did help to drive the characters, no doubt about it.
1: And how do you create characters that your readers care about?
0: Um, well, they're certainly not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, even the judge did some things that you know uh, are human. Uh, the judge—I um, love villains. Uh, I try not to get you know to let them get away with me, but I think um, a, a good villain can help form the hero. Uh, or the I, that's the wrong term. A good villain can help form heroic traits in my characters. Uh, so, uh, but but I think not having them be perfect is is very important. You don't want. I mean, no one's perfect. So so it's hard to relate to someone who's perfect. Um. Those are probably the main things. Uh, mm-hmm. I certainly. I, again, I certainly think setting can help you do that. And and uh having a boy who has um is is in a setting that is less than perfect, uh and, and in fact can be um well, downright nasty. Uh mm-hmm. and, and you look at you look at how he he survives that and what he does to get out of that. Uh I found a lot of people really related to uh the poverty that, that he was going through, mm-hmm. um, so circumstances, um, dialogue, Wait. obviously.
1: <laughs> we have about um, seven or eight minutes left, so I just wanted to kind of pull back and take a more of a big-picture look. Do you sort of have a motto as an author? Do you have a process you go through, you know, how do you approach your work on a day-to-day basis? Do you start, Do you write an outline or do you fly by the seat of your pants, those kinds of things? Tell us about your process.
0: Um, I do not have an outline uh for most of my books. I did for The Judge's Story, I think largely because it was a historical novel and I had to fill it in. However, I typically I typically write uh, first I have to conceive of the idea. What is it going to be about? I almost all before I sit down to write, I always know the beginning and I always know the end. Uh, that doesn't mean they don't change, but that's how I start. Um, I've learned a lot about mystery writing over the years, uh, and uh, I I find that I, I I'm well I'm a little bit better able to to start a book. But I but again, know I know the crime, I know where I'm headed. Now, in terms of actually writing, mm-hmm. um, I. What when I'm in writing mode uh and i and i and I like large blocks of time, I don't like writing bits and pieces, but I will if I have to. I set a goal and um it's either three or five thousand words a day, depending on my my mood wow and and then i and then I just write I don't worry about whether it's grammatically good, I don't worry about anything except getting the words down. I was going to say on paper, but I haven't used paper in years. On my mm-hmm. computer, and uh, and then uh, and then I just keep. I, I, it's just one of those just do it, get it down, get that first draft done. I usually I usually target ninety thousand words per novel because I know I'm going to cut it, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, uh, and then starts the the editing process, um, and then I edit and edit and edit before anyone sees it because using that method. Obviously, it's not going to be a perfect first draft, but I, I then uh, uh, and then it goes and then it, it goes through that process that we discussed earlier. I have various friends and family members who who actually are kind of ruthless. I think they enjoy getting getting into it. <laughs> uh, I know uh, what you're know. saying. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, they're both in malls, so maybe that's it. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I which is good actually. Um, and then um this time for the first time uh for my book coming up um I'm using two editors. I'm, I'm starting with a structural editor who gave me some really interesting advice and um and and I'm I'm following that path and then uh, the copy editor will get it um hopefully in a week or two. Uh, but um but but again uh, and I'm trying. This is my first year of doing two books in one year, uh, and I'm finding it—it's it, changing my process a little bit. I've had to compress things. I don't have all that time to to write that I used to. Uh, and I'm not—I think that's probably a good thing because uh, sometimes when I'm pushed a little bit, uh, the writing's a little bit better. But but basically, no outline, but a pretty good idea of, wh- of where I'm headed. But the characters do lead me a little bit, uh and i always mm-hmm. oh, oh, one thing I forgot to mention I always write out who the I, I do like little bios of the of the characters before I get started, so yep. i know kind of so I know kind of who they are and uh how they're gonna react and that helps a lot in in the in the writing process um every once in a while, a character will pop up that i I didn't do that for and and I might integrate them, but on the whole i I, I keep to them but i have you know and then and then since i write a series uh the the first three jillian hillcrest some some there were repeat characters so i had to keep a running log or i would say something in one book that was different from another right
1: um, right
0: you don't but, want to contradict yourself
1: so we we have about 3 minutes left so tell us um some some fun facts What's i know you write about
0: wine so what's your favorite wine oh i'm a red wine drinker and my favorite is cabernet and everybody in the valley here knows it Um, They're always – well, Ramona is an up-and-coming – plug. Uh, Ramona is an uh, up-and-coming wine-producing industry. We now have about 30 um, wine-tasting wineries in the area. And uh, the area is – and Ramona is near San Diego, California. And uh, you you can visit the wineries on the weekends. We're still small enough. And we're going through harvest right now. But but they're, they are uh, particularly good at at red wines and the climate is very similar to Tuscany. So oh, cool. uh, right now the, right now they're yeah cool at night, hot in the day, uh, and uh, Sangiovese is one of their one of their better wines. But uh, it's been fun being part of that. I'm kind of, I kind of I'm kind of like a voyeur and they, they let me write about them and uh, participate. But they do know that I'm a cab cab drinker and it's the Ramona Valley A V A for those of you who. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, All right. Just, tell us about your website.
1: Tell us website where people can find you. Websites, Twitter handles, Facebook. How can people contact you? Where? Tell us about. You know, make sure you say them and spell them so my listeners can find
0: you. Okay, you can find everything on my web page, which is Strand dot com, and that's j o y c e s t r a n d. dot com. I am on Facebook, uh, and on Facebook it's Joyce T Strand author. So all one word if it's facebook.com, Joyce T Strand author, all one word. Uh you can find my books, uh paperback and ebook on amazon.com, dot Joyce T Strand again, or on Barnes and Noble for ebooks. Uh, and at the Unicorn bookstore. And all of these links are on my webpage. I also have a blog, uh as um Tracy mentioned early on, which are uh, n- not about me. My blog is about other people, um, and um, including uh, a lot of author interviews, which I adore doing. And I'm on Goodreads, of course. Um, so uh, all of those, I think those are all my links. Oh, and um, Twitter link, and I, uh, I invite you to follow me. I'm at Joyce T. Strand. So, um, So my listeners... You can go to
1: JoyceStrand.com and um, and Twitter. And Joyce, thank you for being on. I really appreciate you've been amazing, and you had so much to say. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of talking about your book, so thank you for being on. Uh, my pleasure, and
0: I'm always happy to talk about my books. <laughs> Thanks, Joyce. And thank Joyce. you for
1: the opportunity. Oh, of course. Okay. So, to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for joining us. Please come back next week at our regular time, Thursday at one for a highlights show, and Thursday, September third at one o'clock to hear Insom Kim, a found dress and sculptor, talk about art and the life of metal. This has been Tracy L. Flatton on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.